When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week eight in the books. This conference, totally predictable, right? Yep. Sure. Why not? Let's go with that. That's a good word for it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, the games uh, never get less weird in this conference. Uh, we love it to death, and uh it, Surely there was plenty of weirdness and interest this weekend, I'll say. Um, let's dive in. We had seven games on the slate this weekend involving ACC teams. Five of them were conference games. Uh, let's start at the top, Mike. The The big one, the, uh, the number 23 Pittsburgh Panthers, 27. The Clemson Tigers, 17. Mike, King's dead. King's dead, and the King might not be coming back to life later yeah. this year or maybe even next year. I don't know. My tiger is broken, Joey. <laughs> yeah, that broken is as yeah, putting it lightly, maybe. That Clemson yeah. offense is brutal to watch sometimes. Garbage, garbage. Uh, Clemson's going to have a lot of fun in the pinstripe bowl. Like that's where we're starting this thing at. They're going to a pinstripe bowl. Can can Clemson just like opt out of a bowl game? Like this, this is the season that you just want to be done with. Yeah, like this. This is the most absurd thing I think that I have seen or like heard in terms of stats on this podcast since we've been doing it. Mike, we're like we're through seven games with Clemson. They're four and three. That's that's kind of nuts. Clemson has played seven games, six of them against FBS competition. Not one of those games against FBS competition has Clemson scored twenty points in regulation. Their offense is atrocious. It is yeah. so bad. Yeah, which is why I won't be putting money on them to win really any game on the rest of their schedule except for UConn. And I know that sounds ridiculous, Joey. They have Florida State in a week, which, yeah, Clemson's better than Florida State, but, uh, I mean, Florida State beat UNC. We're, we're seeing a different Florida State team week to week, and they just beat the hell out of UMass. We'll talk about that in a bit. I mean, that's a winnable game for Florida State. I haven't like, even looked at the spread for that. Hold on, let me go find that. Keep going. Yeah, go go find that while I keep going. Clemson goes on the road to Louisville November 6th. You think that's a winnable game on paper? I mean, they I could mean, win. Yeah, like <laughs> Clemson is decidedly now like in the middle of the ACC where like any game is winnable or losable. Yeah, so. right. I mean, they'll beat UConn, but then home against Wake. I mean, Wake will be favored. And then at South Carolina, which... You know, yeah, South Carolina, one of the worst teams in the SEC, but like it's a rivalry game, Joey, and it's on the road. And I, yeah, Clemson should win that game, but I'm not definitively saying that they're going to. Mike, I, I take it that you're going to be very interested in this number. 
And if I need to like oh. pause the podcast here real quick so that you can go take care of a little bit of business, let me know. I, <laughs> tell tell me the number. I'll tell you if you have to pause the podcast. Clemson's a ten point favorite against Florida State next week. Hell no. Go get Florida State right now. Go get Florida State yeah, right now. Go, go do it. State. That's that's an early that's an early line bet. Are you kidding me? Goodness. Um, and, and Florida State yeah. has their own problems. And Florida State might not score more than like ten points in that game. But right, Clemson also is not going to score more than like twenty. They haven't done it against anybody. Um, right. That's for yeah. a different preview show, though. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike, Clemson's offense continues to be a mess. DJU throws two picks, including one being a pick six on a shovel pass that Servassier Dennis was basically just standing in the hole and it was a little bit of like a look what I found kind of thing. He caught it in the bread basket and just ran it straight past DJU and took it to the house. Um, so Pittsburgh got a, a bit of a cheap touchdown there. So that was good. D- DJ gets benched right after that. They bring in Ty Pumachon. I, I, I'm not entirely sure why they took him out because he was only in for like a drive or two and it felt like they were moving the ball a little bit better under Pumachan than they were with Uyunglele. Um But nonetheless, I mean, Clemson, Clemson just struggled offensively here. Credit to Pitt's defense. I mean, they stood up to Clemson's rushing attack, which is really not a ton to be, you know, writing home about, but Clemson struggles to move the ball against Pitt's defense. Uh, Pitt moved the ball enough on offense uh, Kenny Pickett goes for 300 yards through the air and two touchdowns. Like this wasn't like some dominant, in, like in, incredible showing I would say by Pittsburgh, but like they definitely played well enough to win the game. They were the deserving winners here. And and I think it's pretty easy to say at this point that in 2021 Pittsburgh is better than Clemson is. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, definitively better. I mean, when you were watching that game yesterday, yeah, Clemson was a mess again, but Pittsburgh looked like the better team for four quarters. Mm-hmm. Clemson scores that early touchdown. They had a 7 nothing lead going into the second quarter, but from there on out, I mean, Pittsburgh looked like the better team. Kenny Pickett threw for 300 yards, two scores. Pittsburgh ran the ball well in this game, which I didn't necessarily see coming. Uh, you know, as a team going for 162 yards, that's all you need to do when you have a quarterback in Kenny Pickett playing as well as he is. I just, I guess a couple things were, a couple things surprised me. It was Pitt's ability to run the ball the way that they did, and then DJU just being totally inept to the point where, like, this was the worst I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. You know, was I positive he was going to be great in this game on Saturday going into it? No. I mean, of course not. How can you look at this Clemson offense this year and be like, yeah, they're going to find it. It's going to click. I was just more surprised that it was so bad to the point where he had a shovel pass intercepted, run back for a touchdown, threw a second pick, got benched. I didn't see it going that poorly, Joey. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I talked about in the preview, and we've talked about now for a couple weeks, where like it seems like he's in his own head. You know, Mm -hmm. all the talent in the world, huge arm, can make all the throws. There's a reason why he was a five-star quarterback, right? There, there's a reason why. And you see the talent. The talent's oozing out of him, right? Mentally, he is not there right now. I mean, and anytime you throw an interception on a shovel pass to a guy who is right there in front of you and you just literally hand it, to, essentially hand it to him. I mean, it was a two-yard shovel. I mean, that's when you know he's mentally not in the right headspace. So there's a lot that we're going to get to in this podcast tonight that I've been wrong about. And I was wrong about in the preview as I am every week, you know, I get stuff wrong. I was right about that. Like he Mm -hmm. is in his own head and Clemson's offense is in worse shape than even I thought it was going into this game. And 
Joey Dabo mentioned in the post game that every job is up for grabs this week offensively. Every job. Okay. Yeah. And sure. Under full evaluation, and it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> I think it needs to be. Will Shipley came back, had 52 yards on 10 carries, but it just doesn't really. That was another thing I kind of disagreed with, by the way. Like, Kobe Pace has been pretty decent for Clemson in Shipley's absence. Mm-hmm. And I think Shipley is, I mean, Shipley, high, highly rated prospect, going to be a hell of a player. But I think they should have just kept it rolling with Kobe Pace and just kind of mixed Shipley in. I, I think they're going to Shipley too quickly and kind of forcing their hand a little bit where they don't have to. Shipley seems like he's still kind of playing through something here from an injury standpoint. I mean, he's, yeah, he's healed great. enough to where he can get back out there, but he's not as explosive or as impressive as he was earlier in the season when he was healthy. So um, that, that, that's definitely a piece of it for sure. But I mean, I, I don't know that it helps you to go to an injured freshman running back 10 times on the ground. Like, I don't know. It's, it's fine. Um, I, I will confirm. I mean, Pumachan came into the, to this game, you know, kind of early to midway through the third quarter, right after that pick six from uh, Big Cinco. Yep. And immediately goes in, leads them on an 11-play, 45-yard drive that ends in a field goal. I mean, they, they took over at their own 30-yard line and moved all the way down to the, the edge of the red zone. You know, like, that's that's better than a lot of what Big Cinco was giving you. I mean, at that point, they only had seven points on the board. So there's that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll bring up is that it, it you were correct that like it did take Pittsburgh a little bit of time to kind of get their footing as an offense in this game. Um, the first 20 or so minutes when they had the ball, I mean, the drive chart was three and out, three and out, nine plays punt, five plays fumble, five plays punt. Um, so yeah. th- like they scored touchdowns in their final two possessions of the first half, but it took a while to get going. But once they did, it was touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, end of game. And by the way, that end of game drive, 15 plays, 49 yards, almost eight minutes of possession. That was a away. thing of beauty. Put um, it away. I, I don't know how often, Mike, you hear of people running the eight minute drill, but Pitt ran it to perfection. Like that was astounding. Really well done. Um, they just kept converting third downs and the, uh, the miracle under hit, which is what I was really particularly concerned about. Yes, it did hit. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's one of my two winning actual, you know, real time bets of the of the uh, weekend. I uh, I went two for two, or I went two and two, so I ended up losing a grand total of like three and a half real life Van Gorder coin. So you know, oh well. Oh well is right. Would you start Ty Pumachan next week? Yeah. Why, 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 why are we continuing to go with DJU? Like at this point, what, what do you still need to see? What do you think is going to change? And I Mike, qu- this, this is kind of where I'm at with this whole Clemson team is like, I feel like the problems that they are having on, at least on offense in particular, this is not the kind of thing that they're just going to go into the offseason and say, okay, let's do a little bit of a reset, you know, kind of get our minds right. And then we're going to come back next year and we'll be a playoff team again. Like th- this is a long-term, like big problem that they are going to have to figure out. I don't think this is just something that time simply solves. I, I don't know what it is that solves it, but this is going to become kind of a uh, a systemic issue or a recurring issue for this Clemson team. This is a they're in a bad way on offense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know. I don't either. know what the fix is. I mean, it's a combination a of like of- everything. It feels like. Exactly. That, that's why I was going to say, like, there's a lot of stuff going wrong right now. Like, 
they got a quarterback issue. They can't really run the ball that well. I mean, the the stats indicate they had five and a half yards per carry as a team yesterday. But like anybody watching the game can acknowledge that Clemson was having trouble, like establishing a sustainable running game. Right? Mm-hmm. Feels like all the receivers do the same thing, except for Justin Ross. Mm-hmm. They just really don't. They don't have much of anything going offensively. Defense is still very good, but offensively, it's just a little bit of everything. That's before even mentioning the offensive line, which I think is a big part of this. Like the offensive line for Clemson simply has not been very good this year. No, not at all. I, I think some of it too is just the type of quarterback DJU is, right? He is a different type of quarterback than the one that they've been accustomed to playing in high leverage situations over the last seven or eight years. Yep. I mean, yeah. about the playing style of Deshaun Watson, the playing style of Kelly Bryant, even uh, certainly the playing style of Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, DJU was coming in as a very highly rated prospect, you know, one of the best quarterbacks, you know, for, in terms of star rating and overall rating in the history of 24 seven sports. Like he's an unbelievable high school recruit coming to Clemson, but he is a different quarterback. He is a different quarterback than those guys. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's kind of worse said, right? Of he's like Kelly Bryant, Joey. Like he's worse than Kelly Bryant. He's more talented than Kelly Bryant, but the results Correct. are not as good as Kelly Bryant. Correct. No, no. Nobody's arguing the talent piece. He's certainly more talented. I mean, on paper, he is just as talented as Trevor Lawrence. He's just he's more talented than Deshaun Watson. Like pure like prospect star rating talent wise, unreal. I, on the field, I, I mean, I, I will say I'm starting to understand why my Cam Newton comparison is falling a little bit flat, and he really better compares to Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a it's a mental thing, right? Like it's it's not knowing where to go with the ball. It's not being composed. It's you know, it's 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 a lot of the 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 approach thing. It's not a physical tools issue. So. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what Clemson has has to go with. But Mike Pitt is going to win the Coastal Division. Like they're three and zero. They've got the win over Clemson. I mean, they're in great shape. Pitt's going to the Pitt's going to Charlotte at this point, right? Uh yeah. I mean, yes. Pitt, <laughs> yes, Pittsburgh's going to Charlotte. Have you seen the Coastal? Yes. Uh, Pitt's yeah. going to Charlotte. Oh boy, we'll we'll Rabbit. get into the Coastal here. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got in this game, Mike. Anything else? Clemson's a mess. Good job, Pittsburgh. Credit to Pitt. Getting the win. Yeah, man. By the way, that crowd at Heinz Field was about as good as I've ever seen for a Pitt game. That was awesome. It was lit. Uh, did you see Kelly Gramlich's tweet? She's like, Pitt can tailgate, y'all. I was like, yo, what? What do you mean Pitt can tailgate? And the tailgate scene was kind of lit yesterday. They got some uh, like some pierogies working? Or what's the, what's the story there? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. But it was hyped up atmosphere there. At Heinz Field yesterday. I, I make fun of Pittsburgh's fans a lot, but they showed up. There you go. They did. And uh, I was also impressed that like the, uh, the, the consistency of the colors that they were wearing through the stand, like they were all wearing that, that beautiful, like kind of Royal blue color that they've yep. been using as opposed to the Navy that was being used up until a few years ago. So credit to the fan base. They, they showed out big game looked good. Well done. Good job. Pitt fans. Pretty manageable schedule for Pitt coming in. Pretty All I'll say, 
not that they needed to be all that workable. They're they're like one of the three best teams in the conference, pretty clearly. So good stuff. Yeah. Pitt twenty seven. What's that? They're good. They are good. They are good. Pitt twenty seven. Clemson seventeen. Let's keep moving here, Mike. Uh, Syracuse forty one. Virginia Tech thirty six. Totally normal score. Totally normal score. Um, this was. Whew, whew. Uh, we record this. Not good, Mike. At eleven p.m. Eastern time on Sunday night, and as far as I understand, Justin Fuente is still employed by the Virginia Tech Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. Is that correct? Nailed it. There we go. On multiple fronts. He is the head coach, and you nailed the school name. Hmm. How about that? All right. Good. Good stuff. Yeah. Good, good for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do I even what do I even say at this point? Why is Virginia Tech still the head coach? I think you actually have an answer for this. Why is Virginia Tech still head coach? Well, <laughs> let's just go with that. You know what I mean? Okay, we'll go with that. That's fine. Uh, uh, he's still the head coach. I'll tell you why he's still the head coach. Here's here's like my real life answer. He's still the head coach because the kids haven't quit yet. That's good. So it's not as bad as it could be. Well, I mean, it's pretty bad, though. It's not good. It's not good. So Virginia Tech loses by five here. Uh, Hokies had the lead here by a score of 36 to 27 with 536 to play in the fourth quarter. Joey, you'll remember a few weeks back. Virginia Tech held an eight-point lead against Notre Dame in Blacksburg with four and a half minutes to play. You remember that? Yep. I was there. I remember. Well, I, I mean, I was there watching yeah. it on my TV. I was there, though. <laughs> yeah. Now, Joey, can you uh, tell me what happened to Virginia Tech? Just big picture in that game. What what happened to Virginia Tech? Uh, gave up a touchdown. Uh-huh. Couldn't get a first down. Uh-huh. Gave up a field goal and lost the game. That's correct. So let's fast forward past the Pittsburgh debacle where Virginia Tech lost by 21 points. And let's move forward to Saturday where, again, Virginia Tech had a nine-point lead after a Malachi Thomas 47-yard touchdown run. Now, I'm going to pause there, Joey. Mm-hmm. Malachi Thomas is a true freshman. Look good. 21 carries, 151 yards, and three touchdowns. <laughs> where have we been hiding him? Is is Malachi Thomas like that? I'm trying to think. Like, like you know. So, were you like in band or like in some sort of organization in high school, where like you get to like your junior or senior year and you're just like completely jaded to the whole thing, but like every year you watch these freshmen come in, like you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like super excited to be part of it, and you're just like, <laughs> he'll figure it out. Like, is Malachi Thomas that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman that, like, looks great now, but give it, like, two years, and he'll just be like, oh, God, I hate this. I mean, <laughs> if he were smart, he'd get out while he can. <laughs> so, let's let's even take it back a step further before I get into the uh, semantics of the last four minutes, which is just, like, essentially a synopsis of Virginia Tech season. <laughs> so, Virginia Tech on Saturday... Uh, the Hokies had 437 yards of total offense in this football game. That's by far the best mark of the season. Uh, Virginia Tech scored 36 points in this football game. That is their highest mark of the season. Joey, uh, I've been calling for Justin Fuente to take over play calling for, I don't know, for the better part of the last like two and a half years. 
he mentioned in the post-game press conference that he had a much bigger hand in the first-team offense this week. Joey, uh, it showed. They still can't throw the ball, but they ran the ball like no, hell. I mean, no, they, they, still can't, they still can't throw. But that has more to do with the fact that Braxton Burmeister is playing quarterback than mm-hmm. anything else. Uh, this was the best offensive line performance of the season by Virginia Tech, at least running the football. So, I mean, credit to Virginia Tech's offense, I guess, for bouncing back after a really, really brutal performance against Pitt a week ago. But defensively, Hokies gave up 550 yards to Syracuse, who came in averaging 400 yards per game. Uh, The Hokies gave up 314 yards on the ground, 174 of those to quarterback Derek Schrader, who had three touchdown runs. He had five total touchdowns if you count the 236 and two touchdowns, which I'm going to get into in a second, by the way. And then Sean Tucker, 20 for 112 in a touchdown. I will say this. I thought Virginia Tech did a decent job bottling up Sean Tucker, right? Mm-hmm. He's not easy back to tackle. I thought they did a decent job tackling him. The only issue is that they didn't tackle Garrett Schrader. So that was a problem. Yeah. Now, yeah. I want to, uh, you know, I'm going to finish up. I'll be brief here, but I'm going to finish up by saying this. The last six minutes of the game or so is just a snapshot of why Justin Fuente should no longer be the coach of Virginia Tech. Yep. Are you ready? Yep. So Malachi Thomas has that 47-yard touchdown run. You could have driven a Mack truck through the hole on the offensive line there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Great job up front. Again, all the credit in the world to Justin Fuente for having more of an influence in the first-team offense. However, Justin Fuente usually in practice, runs the scout team offense against Justin Hamilton's first-team defense. It's safe to say that since Fuente had more of a hand in the first-team offense this week, he probably had less of a hand in the scout team offense, right? I think it's fair to say? I, I no argument here. Okay. That could be why, to the defense's detriment, they gave a 550 yards. Not great. Right? Not great. So, you know why that's damning to Justin Fuente? Because he can't trust his assistants to do their job, Joey. Can't trust his assistants that he hired, by the way, to do their job. Now you're in into- you're in year six of this program. The coaching yes. staff, the players, all of it. This is this is yes. what you have spent six years yes. creating, and this is what it is. Correct. Now, the synopsis, real quick. Malachi Thomas has that touchdown run that I was referring to. You want to know what happens after that touchdown run, Joey? What's that? Here's what happens. Virginia Tech kicks off. Trebor Pena, he is a freshman wide receiver for Syracuse, returns to kick 51 yards to the Virginia Tech 45. So that sets up Syracuse in great field position mm-hmm. as they're down mm-hmm. by nine points with just over five minutes to play. The old 45-yard that's touchdown right. drive. Yes, that's a special teams gap, isn't it? That's correct. Correct. Virginia Tech then allows noted great passer that's sarcasm Garrett Schrader to throw a 12 yard touchdown pass on third and goal at 228 to play he completed almost 50 percent of his passes in this game Mike oh and he made him count <laughs> he made him count Virginia Tech gets the ball back up by two with 228 to play just bleed the clock needs to burn clock that's right they need to burn clock Joey you know what happens here? They need two first downs to effectively end the game with Syracuse's timeout situation. 
You know what they do? I only got one. They only got one. That's right. First play of the drive. Braxton Burmeister, 16-yard pass to Tavion Robinson. Timeout Syracuse. Malachi Thomas, two-yard run. Timeout Syracuse. Tavion Robinson, one-yard run. Timeout Virginia Tech. Which, okay, sure. I mean, I guess you, you kind of burned all the play clock on that, so you, you, you squeezed the juice out of the, uh, the orange clock yep. at that point, but interesting, okay. Braxton Burmeister, sacked. Mm-hmm. Peter Moore punt. Okay. All right. So well, yeah. 36-34 Virginia Tech, right? With a mid to play. Orange backed up, short on timeouts. Yep, short on timeouts. That's right. In fact, they had no timeouts. So what does Garrett Schrader do? Incomplete pass, incomplete pass, six-yard run. On fourth and four, with 43 seconds left, Garrett Schrader, six-yard run for a first down. 30 seconds to go. By the way, Syracuse only needs a field goal. Just a reminder. Garrett Schrader, 13-yard pass to Sean Tucker out of the backfield. 19 seconds to go. On the 45-yard line. On the 45-yard line of Virginia Tech, Damian Alford gets loose. Garrett Schrader, 45-yard touchdown pass. Virginia Tech loses. They blow a nine-point lead with 5.30 to play. It is their second lead they've blown of eight points or more in a three-week span. With three three minutes left in the game or whatever? Yep, that's right. That's right. You blew two separate leads of eight points or more in a three-game span. Pretty gross. Joey, what else is there to say? It's a wrap, dude. What are we doing? It's a wrap. I mean, Virginia Tech has now lost three games in a row, all at home in front of the home fans, two of them blowing late leads, the other one getting blown out by Pittsburgh. Um, I I mean... (laughs) I don't have a ton to add here. I just, in a weird way, like this kind of went in a way that I kind of suspected it might where like this just kind of just continues to expose this Justin Fuente program. Like it's, this is what this team is. And like, you know, if they haven't fired him by now, I don't think they're going to necessarily fire him on Monday. Nope. So they'll coach know. again next weekend in Atlanta when I'll see them in person against Georgia Tech. I don't know how that game will go. It doesn't really matter. Like, I feel like the writing's on the wall here. Like, we know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of time of when. Um, it's just incredibly disappointing, I think. And and I would imagine as a, a, an alumnus and a fan of, of the Hokies, like, this is what you are in, in year six is this middling ACC program trying to make a bowl game coming from a time where when you were in school, Mike, I mean, they were winning the coastal, you know, two out of three years and had multiple top 10 seasons and they were winning, you know, they'd finished off a, a decade or something of winning like 10 games every year. All right. Like they're just in a completely different place right now. And I, I realized things kind of waned at the end of the Frank Beamer era. And I realized that Justin Fuente won like 10, maybe 11 games, whatever it was his first year there. But it's just been on this steady downhill slope ever since then, and it's it's hard to watch, man. It's it even as somebody who's a fan of like a rival team and all that, like it's kind of hard to watch. Of like, is this really what Virginia Tech is in twenty twenty one? Like, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech won nineteen games the first two years. It looked like it was an absolute slam dunk hire, mm-hmm. and ever since then, it's been an absolute roller coaster. I mean, 
basically the only consistent football Virginia Tech has played since 2017 was when Virginia Tech won six out of seven in 2019 after they replaced Ryan Willis with Hendon Hooker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had lost that Duke game and they made a quarterback change. You know, it was a blowout Got to Duke. Blown the hell out on a Friday night by Duke at home. Like, Celebrating the 20th anniversary of the 99 team that went to the national championship. Michael Vick's there, whole thing. Um, you get blown out at home. And then Fuente makes a quarterback switch. Virginia Tech wins six out of seven. Uh, the one game they lost was the game Hooker couldn't play, and Quincy Patterson went to South Bend and couldn't really complete a forward pass. And then Virginia Tech lost the final two games that year. Uh, they lost to UVA and then lost the bowl game to Kentucky. Yep. And the the then Belk Bowl, of course. So that was the last time we've seen consistent football at Virginia Tech. And that's been kind of a blip on the radar of the last four years. It's been really tough. So, I mean, I would argue. Sometimes hires just don't work out, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I would argue that right now they're playing consistent football. It's just consistently disappointing. (laughs) This is, uh, I mean, (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) Um, Does that make you feel better or like. Well, I mean. You're, I mean, you're right. When Fuente took over the program, Virginia Tech had averaged a little less than eight wins. It was like 7.75 wins over the last four years of Frank Beamer. I mean, Virginia Tech is in that same spot now, six years later. It's Well, and just I the mean, state that the ACC is in, like, especially the Coastal Division, is just up for anybody to grab. And this program 15 years ago would have been you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, they'd be winning 10, right. 11 games a year, beating all these quality of teams. So it just, to see them follow where they have is, you know, it's something. Yeah. Uh, good for Syracuse though. Good for Finally the got a conference one. Yeah. Snap that uh 10 game conference losing streak. Of That's course. Five straight games for Syracuse that have been decided by a grand total of 14. No, no, sorry. Uh, 17 points. Yeah. Man. <laughs> oh, also, real quick, for all the idiots out there saying Virginia Tech should fire Fuente and hire Justin Hamilton, can we just not do that? Please, for the love of Christ. What are we seeing from Justin, Justin Hamilton's defense in year two that makes us all think, like, yeah, that would that would work? Like, like, it's been mostly fine. It's been certainly a lot better than last year. And, yeah, the defense has kept Virginia Tech in a lot of games this year. But, like... Come on. They just gave up 550 to Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, come on. And and last year like we we were able to say like, well, we get it, you know, COVID year, can't practice like blah 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 blah, but like this is year 2 and even if they're not like that good, you still want to see improvement game over game, week over week. Like is this defense any better now than it was in week 1 or week 2? I don't think so. Like I don't think it's getting better. It might be getting worse. No, no, it's no, it's not better. So. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact they're on the field all day. You know, it's just, I think some of that's like possession times catching up too a little bit, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you had a multi-score lead, you, and then you're immediately given a forty-five-yard uh, field to defend, right? And then you know your offense just needs two first downs; they only get one. Like, defense having problems, but. You know, the rest of the team isn't helping them a whole lot. So, you know, I don't know. Not great. Let's move on, Mike. Syracuse 41, Virginia Tech 36. Miami 31, NC State 30. Mike, first off, wow. Um, 
credit yeah. to Miami. What a gutty win here for a team that I thought was just like absolutely dead in the water and and, and you know wasn't coming back. Right. Um, huge credit to Miami and Manny Diaz for pulling out this win. Kind of a disappointing loss for NC State. I think really the story of the game was NC State really having a hard time finishing drives. The Wolfpack had the ball at the, in this game twice inside of Miami's 20-yard line and ended up kicking field goals. I mean, so you kicked three field goals instead of scoring touchdowns in this game, and you lost by one. So that's, I mean, that's the story of the game to me. Yeah, that is the story of the game, right? When you lose by a point, you're settling for field goals. Like, that's that's the game. But, that, I mean, that's what Dave Dorn does, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen that before. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, question for you, Joey. I announced last week on the preview and on the recap and everything else that NC State was the most complete team in the ACC. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about that. Number one, was I wrong? I'm, I'm not ready to say that you were wrong on that. Um, there, were, there were a couple of moments where Miami scored long touchdowns here that were not like that like they were they were uh, you know a broken play here or there where there was a glitch in the NC State defense and they took advantage of it so i think that in- right. impacted it but i don't i don't think this makes me think that NC State is a less complete team it was just Cap. they just went in there saturday night and got beat that's my thought okay and now i will say there's one thing i didn't account for in that assessment you want to hear what it was huh NC State going to NC State baby yep Yep, that would be some NC State shit at its finest, Mike. Yes, that's that's right. This is uh, who they are and what they do. <laughs> like, I, I mean, Joey, let's let's think back a little bit. Let's think back to 2016 Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Notre Dame was four and eight. NC State was starting to. They they were cooking with a little bit of fire, right? That year they were a little up and down. They were a little up and down, but you could see them starting to build something, right? For twenty seventeen, eight and five, or was that was that the pre eight win year? That's the pre eight win year. Okay, pre eight win year. So the reason why I bring that up is NC State beat Notre Dame ten to three in a monsoon. Remember that Brian Kelly threw it like fifty times with Kaiser. Yep. Remember yeah, he? you won that game ten to three because you didn't throw the ball. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. So NC State survives and advances there. And I remember at that moment, I was like, you know, NC State's like really hanging in there, probably didn't deserve to win that game. And but they might have a little something. Right. So that builds 2017 where NC State had this really good team. You had Brian Fidley. You had, you know, Bradley Chubb. You had, you know, athletes on the field. You were pretty happy about where things were at and where things were headed. And NC State went to South Bend. Joey, nationally ranked NC State. That was a pretty big game, you remember. And mm-hmm. we previewed it, and we talked about how important of a game this was for Dave Doran. And NC State hung with Notre Dame for about a quarter, quarter and a half. Then they got the doors blown off them and didn't play consistent football for the rest of the season. Got right? their teeth kicked in, yeah. Got their teeth kicked in. And then NC State was really up and down for the next couple of years, which led to you saying, man, we got to have a conversation about Dave Doran because mm-hmm. the only really talented, really successful team he's had ended up falling flat on its face after playing like one legitimate opponent, which was true, all true, right? Then NC State had a really good COVID year. And NC State's been quite good this year. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll qualify the COVID year by saying they also played an incredibly weak schedule. Like, schedule. 
they they played maybe one of the top four teams in the conference or something like that. Like they they had a lot of layups on that schedule. So I was still a little bit a little bit iffy on them coming into this year because it was like mm-hmm. maybe maybe when things ramp up a little bit they won't you know won't deliver as much. Right. So coming into this year, we're like we'll see. I was a little bit more sold on them than you were, but regardless, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into this game, we were both back on the we were both on the wagon. We're like, all right, NC State rolling. I call them the most complete team in the conference. Then they pull this. And Joey, you and I both made NC State minus three on the road our uh, one of our locks of the week. Locked right? it up. Yep. Locked them up. It didn't work out that way. And you know what? In hindsight, really stupid bet. You know? Was it? Just really dumb bet. This is the type of game NC State loses. You know? They just kicked the crap out of Boston College last week. Like This is the type of game they lose. Like, just kind of out of nowhere, I guess? This is the type of game they lose. Yeah. I, the I, thing about yeah. Miami compared to Boston College is that, like, outside De'Ara King, like, and by the way, Tyler Van Dyke and De'Ara King's absence going even going into this game have been pretty decent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't totally sold on Dennis Grossell at BC. No, not, not at all. Right. So that was a big reason why I was like, all right, NC State, I'm not too worried about them going on the road there. A little bit different here with Tyler Van Dyke. Now, I will say Van Dyke was outstanding, right? Mm-hmm. 325, mm-hmm. four touchdowns. It was 25 and 33. Really, really nice day. No picks, and, almost 10 yards an attempt. Like, right. can't ask for a whole lot more than that in a guy who's in his first few games starting. Like, that was an outstanding performance from him, I thought. Exactly. Uh, I'll tell you what I was most, most surprised about. NC State's total lack of being able to run the football. Now, I understand Miami's front has been pretty good. NC State's got some pretty good running backs, and they had absolutely nothing going in this game. Mm-hmm. Nothing going, mm-hmm. Joey. Big story in the game, quite honestly. I mean, when you, see, when you see Bam Knight finish with eight carries for 16 yards, I I don't even understand what happened there. Like that 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 is right. probably the worst game of his career in terms of, you know, yard per carry output. Yep. This was rough for them trying to run the ball. Yeah, I mean, usually you see Ricky Person and Bam Knight somewhere between 70 and 100 yards or more, and you're pretty confident that you're going to be able to get at least 150 to 200 yards rushing, and that's generally enough with the way De- uh, Devin Leary throws the ball. Mm-hmm. So, and Devin Leary, like, was was fine. It, it was, you know, 310, two touchdowns, 24-42, little uneven, but it was fine. I mean, my takeaway here is, yeah, like situational execution, like the inability to turn field goals into touchdowns and NC State not being aggressive when they had to. And you were mentioning mentioning this before we hit record, so I'll kind of turn that over to you on the NC State field goal thing. But like that was pretty significant, I think, in the outcome at the end. Yeah, I mean, it it was like, again, NC State has multiple drives that get inside of Miami's 20 yard line and end up kicking field goals. Um, and, and I'll, I'll say this, like in a, in a, in a lot of ways, like, yeah, NC state racked up 421 yards of offense, but it was also in a way, a fairly impressive performance from Miami's defense. Absolutely. Relative to what we've seen them do. Like, you know, they, they continue to stand up and, and, you know, cause you'll get some of these stops, like giving up a lot of yards, but not a ton of points. 
Um, they forced NC State to go three and out on three of their first four possessions. Like that's pretty good. Uh, they went three and out multiple other times. They caused a turnover on downs late in the game. Um, NC State has the ball near midfield. It's fourth and eight. And God, this killed me. I hate this whole thing, Mike, when receivers, like, it's fourth and eight. All right, you're going to run an out route, meaning you're going to run a few steps, and then you're going to cut out towards the sideline. You're going to go catch a pass. Mike, if it's fourth and eight, how far should you run before you cut out to go catch that pass? Nine. So why did Thayer Thomas cut it at five yards on fourth and eight, like where he gets he catches the pass, and then is just immediately wrapped up and brought down? Like Because he's an idiot, Joey. Or just college receivers, I you know. Yeah. Who knows? Young and stupid. Ridiculous. So yeah, there were there were some of those things, and that's that's a bad coaching moment, right? Like that's something that it's it's not like he was slower than the defender, or you know, the defender just kind of out leveraged him. Like, no, you broke your route off at the wrong time. Like, and that's just right. simply just do you know when to cut and when not to? And so, I mean, it's maybe a little bit of a timing thing, but the point being, like, you you can't have that that's the way that you end the game right you're down one you just need a field goal to win the game uh with uh, almost three minutes left plenty of time and you just (laughs) that's what you do so i don't know sure um like this this is a bit of a brutal loss for nc state they now I, i mean the wake forest game still sets up to be the coastal division or the atlantic division championship game well if you're the acc if you're the acc network you might think that's still the coastal division though did you see that uh tweet <laughs> i did see that tweet yeah yeah from the acc account literally from the conference account they're mixing up which divisions the coastal and which divisions the atlantic go acc oh. You're not to, the only just, one, Joey. Yeah, yeah. But you're not employed by them either. Unbelievable. Incredible. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the game against Wake Forest, assuming that NC State doesn't screw up again sometime in between there, and, and they have games left between there against Louisville and Florida State, which, I mean, they're like a touchdown favorite against Louisville. That's that's not a layup, I don't think. Um, no. And that, that's a no, losable a game. Yeah, if you're, not, you're at home in Raleigh for the first time in a couple weeks, but – that's a losable game if you're not ready to play and Louisville comes in hot. And we know that uh, Scott Satterfield has a certain affinity for the Carolinas, we'll say. Um, so he'll, uh, yes. he'll be excited to have his team go play back near home. So better be ready for that. But yeah, I mean, we, we, and, and ideally, I would honestly be excited if both Wake and NC State win the next couple weeks because I think there is an off chance that you could get college game day back in in Winston-Salem here in a few weeks if Hell yeah. that is the Atlantic Division Championship game and it's 9-0 and Wake against 7-2 and NC State. Um, Mike, we were corrected, by the way, and I think we mentioned this on the preview, but we were corrected with an email. We'd said before that College Game Day had never been to Winston-Salem. Uh, it turns out they had. They were there last year to open the season, and I just, you know, I had kind of forgotten about that because I wasn't watching well. the College Game Day last year. Didn't matter because nobody was there. So. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, the tree falls in the forest and nobody's around. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, rough loss for NC State. Good win for Miami. Um, you, you needed this badly. Um, I, we'll see if they can build on this. Next week they got to go to Pittsburgh, and I mean it's a it's a letdown spot for Pittsburgh, but Miami also has historically not played great like north of the Mason Dixon line. So right. You know, we'll we'll see what that ends up looking like, and that's a, a pretty hot Pittsburgh team, so we'll we'll have to see. But uh, good win for Miami. Uh, 
you know, rough, rough look for NC State, but you know, get it back together, get it back rolling, starting next week. We'll see if they can do it. Yeah, we'll see how much this actually matters for Manny Diaz in terms of job security and that sort of thing. But definitely doesn't hurt. I'll tell you that. Definitely doesn't hurt. If it's me, if I am like the president of Miami or the AD, this doesn't save his job, but it doesn't make it worse for sure. Yeah. It it works you back towards that uh, maybe you're safe territory. It it helps a little bit. Yeah. I mean, probably probably won't be safe still, but I mean, whatever. Good for him. Miami breaks, what was it, like a six-game losing streak against Power 5 competition, I think? Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. So, good stuff, Miami. Miami 31, the NC State Wolfpack 30. Mike, let's keep moving. Before we get to our next game, we got to let you know that that recap is brought to you by Section103.com. Mike, it is the best place on the internet to go find official word-marked apparel for Georgia Tech. Uh, they've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all of it with official word marks, the ATL logo. They've got Tech Gold. Uh, it is incredibly comfortable wear. I'm wearing my Tech shirt right now. Um, it is super light, super comfortable. It helps keep me cool because it's still, by some way, somehow, it is like 89 degrees in Houston today. Uh, it is time for fall weather, and I'm exhausted of this, but the Section 103 wear keeps me cool. However, Mike, when I go to the Tech Mobile next Saturday... Uh, it's going to be like 57 and rainy, and you better believe I'm going to be wearing my Section 103 hoodie to keep me warm while at the game. Um, cannot recommend this this clothing well uh, nearly enough. It is, is incredibly comfortable. It looks great. Uh, great way to support Georgia Tech. Mike, go to Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, I love it. I, and I, I, a lot of these things I say, by the way, I don't just say these because, you know, we're being paid to say them. Like, that's that's how sponsorships work on podcasts. Yes, correct. Yep. Th- this is legitimately like high quality clothing. It looks great. I am more than happy to go spend my money there than at like Fanatics or whatever other nonsense like Adidas is trying to put out for Georgia Tech. This is the best apparel from Georgia Tech that money can buy right now on the Internet. So I highly recommend it. Section103.com. Promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Yeah, great stuff over at Section 103. Absolutely. Shout out to Steven and the gang. They are fantastic. Yep. Let's keep going, Mike. The Virginia Cavaliers, 48. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 40. And I, let's start here. Um, I wrote an article, uh, a column over at FromTheRumbleSeat.com that posted Friday afternoon. And in it, Mike, I said there were five things on Jeff Collins' to-do list for the second half of this season. Uh, we're halfway through, coming off a of bye week. Here are the five things we needed to see. Number one, Georgia Tech needed to get more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Nope. Eh, That didn't happen. Nope. Didn't get like anything to Brennan Armstrong. Nope. Nope. Number two, clearer identity on offense leading to more sustained drives. Eh, Yeah, maybe. Kind of. So, so. Offense wasn't the problem here, I didn't really think. Um, Really not bad. So, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one. Ding. Number three, reduce Jeff Sims turnovers. Nope. Uh, no. De- decidedly no. I mean, the, the stat sheet only shows one interception for Jeff Sims. That's because there was a second interception that was overturned by a penalty because a defender yep. came in and hit him in the helmet afterwards. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't really work. Number four, stop getting blown out by ACC teams. Again. Uh, I, Joey, I... I I, I will say, this was kind of a blowout. I know I know it was 48-40. It was kind of a blowout. Yeah. 
Yeah, you were down three scores with like a minute and a half left in the game. Yep. That, that's a blowout. You're lucky that you recovered a couple onside kicks at the end. Like in that, that, you know, then you get a couple of, you know, short fields and you know, a couple of drives, like all that. You had a chance to tie the game, send it to overtime, like great. But like it was a blowout. Like that that's the right. story. The, 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 the final score does not tell the story of the game. You got blown out. Yeah. Number five, win two games, finish five and seven or better. I can't speak to the other uh, five games on the schedule, but Mike, for this one. <laughs> nope. That didn't Decidedly no. Yep. So, uh, Brandon Armstrong, and, and I had somebody reach out to me on Twitter last Sunday when the, the line came out. Um, I forget if it was Chris Grondon or Banana Slug, or it was one of our, one of our listeners uh, as a Virginia fan asked me what I thought of the line of Virginia minus seven. And I said, you know, I thought it was kind of right, but honestly, I was, I was very concerned that Brandon Armstrong might shred this secondary for Georgia Tech. And buddy, shred it, he did. <laughs> 29 of 43 uh, for 396 and four scores, no picks. Um, Georgia Tech comes away with this game with one sack. Like, their defense did a whole hell of a lot of nothing in this game. They forced a three and out on Virginia's first possession, and from there, the Cavs went touchdown, 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 field goal, end of half with a field goal. Field goal, touchdown, touchdown, punt, touchdown. Is that good defense, Mike? It's real bad. Joey, Georgia Tech likes to do this thing where they just decide that they're not going to cover the opposing team's best receiver, right? No, Remember, they uh, don't. Pittsburgh 52-21, Pittsburgh won that game. Yeah, and he's got guys cool. running wide open in the secondary. Jordan Addison tore him up, especially in the first half, right? And he's he's good, but he's not Randy Moss. Right, like, well... No, that's because Randy Moss apparently plays for UVA. Dontavion <laughs> Wicks, six catches for 168 yards and two touchdowns, Joey. You would have thought they were friggin' 2019 LSU or, like, Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma, or... So, I mean, this is ridiculous, Mike. They racked up, what was it, close to 600 yards of offense? 636, yeah. sorry. Like, yeah. And again, like, Virginia's good offensively they move the ball Brennan Armstrong has developed a lot like he's good uh and all this but when I look down and I see that Wayne Talapapa finished this game averaging almost seven yards a carry on the ground like what is what, what is this defensive coaching staff for Georgia Tech doing like you have now given up oodles and oodles of yards and points in all this in three straight games the only reason you beat Duke was because Duke missed multiple field goals, uh, and, and, th and to their credit in that game, you know you held them to a couple of drives where they they were forced to field goal, forced to kick field goals. Uh, other than that, between this game and the Pittsburgh game, your defense is like a sieve. Like you're just yeah, it's just chunk play after chunk play all the way down the field all night long. For, for a team that is run by a head coach who's got a reputation as a defensive coordinator at Florida and Mississippi State, like he's had really good defenses. What on – I've said it before. I'll say it again. What do you do in practice? I don't know because it really doesn't really show up on the field on Saturdays. Yeah, I mean, the defense the, – the effort on defense was just – I don't want to say the effort wasn't there because the effort I thought was okay, Joey. It was just what it, UVA had 636 yards of offense and 
I mean, it got to the point where I was wondering if they were just not even going to run a secondary out there, right? Like, it was like, I mean, it was so bad. It was so bad. It's and like three straight games, Mike, that they have forced a grand total of one turnover. And that was on a ball that was thrown by Gunnar Holmberg at the end of the game two weeks ago that was a little too high, got tipped, and just kind of fell into Wanya Thomas's lap. Other than that, they have not forced a turnover in three straight games. Yeah. I mean, UVA 7 of 11 on third down. The, the most damning thing to me is that, like, not only how poor it was with the passing defense, but like you mentioned, UVA went for 240 yards in this game. On the ground. On the ground, eight yards per rush. You mentioned Wayne Tolapapa averaging almost seven yards per carry. Keaton Thompson at seven for 65. That's over nine yards a carry. Fran Armstrong, 12 for 99, two scores. Armstrong in totality at six touchdowns. I mean, this this boils down to Georgia Tech's offense being being fine, like being good enough. Mm-hmm. We understand they're down three scores and a couple of garbage time touchdowns or whatever, but like, Georgia Tech's offense was fine, like good enough to win. It's really just defensively, it was really poor. Mm-hmm. It was really poor. And I want to say this about Virginia's offense too, which I I know you have the sound clip that says, yeah, Virginia's awesome or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say this about Virginia's offense. I think this is the most explosive offense they've had under Bronco Mendenhall. I know they've had some good offenses with Bryce Perkins, that sort of thing. But, like, this is the most explosive offense they've had, I think, under Bronco. Like, this is an offense that you blink, and they're 45 yards further down the field. Mm-hmm. Like, they can pick up chunk plays in a way that we haven't seen consistently out of UVA offenses under Bronco. Like, Virginia, with Bryce Perkins, they had, like, a defined way of scoring, right? It was a lot of Perkins running and then... Perkins running, Perkins running, Perkins running. Okay, we're hitting you over the top. Mm-hmm. This is like sort of the same. Brian Armstrong also has just infinitely more arm talent, right, than Bryce Perkins. Like the arm talent just much better. And not infinitely, but definitely more. Yeah. Like more. So I mean the the deep passing game for sure is more open now than it was with with Bryce Perkins. And the receiving core has been really good. This is just uh, this is an impressive UVA offense, most explosive offense we've seen under Bronco. It's showing. I mean, they're they're going to be right there at the end. I think uh, you know against Pittsburgh here coming up soon. Trying to figure out if that's going to be the game that decides the coastal. I just I wonder if Virginia's defense can keep it up because the defense has improved. I think right. I mean, some empty calorie yards, some late scores in this game makes it worse than it actually was. I thought Virginia's defense was was and, and has been getting better here in the second half of the season. You know, I just wonder if they're able to keep that up enough where the offense doesn't necessarily have to score like 50 points per game to keep them afloat. Yeah, I, I don't think Virginia's defense is like particularly good. But I do think they're improving. I think you're on that. You know, you're, you're correct on that point um, that they – they're showing growth week over week, which is a good thing. Um, Georgia Tech's defense, on the other hand, I mean, again, Dontavian Wicks had a 77-yard receiving touchdown in this game, which is to say he caught a ball about five yards past the line of scrimmage 
when they had the ball on the 23-yard line, uh, Georgia Tech blitzes the corner. Brandon Armstrong throws it to the guy that the corner was supposed to be covering, you know, throws it to the hot receiver. Right. Dontavian Wicks breaks one tackle, and then he's gone. Like, and it was a, it was not even a particularly close tackle, you know, like it, it, it was a terrible display of tackling on that play. And then there was just nobody else on that side of the field and he just runs away and scores a touchdown. Like, yep. So you're not making it that hard on him when you do things like that. Um, I don't know. Georgia Tech's offense, I will say this. I mean, I, I liked a good, a good amount of what I saw from Jeff Sims in this game. Um, right. It, it is, he is still developing again. He threw a couple of interceptions. One of them was called back. Uh, for a penalty, but so there's there's still development that's happening there, and it's a little bit of a slow process. But man, like he is he is a talented guy. Yes, for he, sure. He can chuck it around the yard. He is fast and can run. Like he, you know, he is a guy that if you can really get him dialed in, like he could very easily be the center point of an offense that wins the division and goes into goes to Charlotte. Like he is that caliber of player. And then Jameer Gibbs also in this game got some things going in the run game. Like that was right. kind of a nice change of pace from the last couple of weeks. But right. um, so I, I, I'm kind of okay with what I saw from the offense here, even, even throwing out, you know, the fact they got a couple of late cheap touchdowns. Like they moved the ball pretty well for a, a good portion of this game. Uh, they jump out to a 13 to nothing lead again, which is what they did against Duke. And then they gave that away. Um, but you know, credit to Dave Patnode, credit to that that coaching staff for the, what this offense has kind of turned into, uh, because I, 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 I'm impressed. I did not think this time last year, I did not think you're going to see this level of, of development and growth, and you have, and so so credit to them for sure. Defensively, like again, you're correct. Like this is an explosive offense for Virginia, and they've they've done some things, but let's not forget that like. We're just, we're just like three, four weeks removed from them scoring a grand total of 38, 30 points against Miami and 34 against Louisville. Like, and they had a lot more problems in those games than they did in this one. And it's not right. like Miami or Louisville has like one of the two or three best defenses in the conference either. Like, right. You know, so I, how is it that those teams were able to cause Virginia problems and Georgia Tech wasn't? I don't know, but it wasn't. It's not a good sign, and and I, I really feel like we are staring down the barrel of Georgia Tech having to make some changes on the coaching on the uh, defensive side of the coaching staff. Like, is it Andrew Thacker? Is it Nate Burton, the safeties coach? You know, who is it there? Because the, the the front of the you know the front you know the defensive tackles and the defensive ends like that is like the only passable part of Georgia Tech's defense right now, and even that might be a stretch to call them passable. Like. Right. The linebackers and the secondary are largely a mess and it's not for a lack of talent. I think it's how they're being used, how they're being coached, lack of development, like all that stuff. So, yep. You know, total mess for Georgia Tech. Um, it's it's not a good sign to me to see a defense that in year three is worse than it was in year one for almost all the same players, frankly, like not good. Yeah, it's uh yeah, I mean, it's not good. I wonder, coming out of this year, we'll see how Georgia Tech finishes the year, but I wonder coming out of this year, what the ultimate narrative's going to be. I don't know. I don't know at this point. I don't know what it's, I mean, we're going to have to give it some time. We're just going to have to see how the rest of the season plays out, because I'm very, I'm very interested to see what the narrative is coming out of year three here. 
I, I think we're going to learn exactly what the narrative is over the next three weeks. I agree. You've got home against Virginia Tech, at Miami, home against Boston College. All Great. of those are very flawed and beatable teams. Yep. But can you beat them? Maybe. I don't know. You're going to finish 3-9? You're going to finish 5-7? and seven? Like, I don't know. We'll see. And that's what, what you see over the next three weeks before they go to South Bend and play Notre Dame and before they host – you know, some scrappy startup called Georgia. Um, (laughs) You know, the next three weeks, this is where you set the narrative moving forward. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Some scrappy startup called Georgia. (sighs) Yep. Let's not talk about them. I hate them so much. So very much, Mike. They're quite good. Virginia 48, Georgia Tech 40. Uh, Let's keep moving here. We're, We're an hour in. We've only gotten through like four games. Yeah, yeah. Louisville 28, Boston College 14. This will go kind of quicker. Uh, this was not particularly competitive. Boston College did take a 7 to nothing lead early here. And then Louisville goes into the half up 21-7 to and eventually just kind of ran away with this. Boston College, I, I feel like they're hitting a wall here with no Phil Dracovic. Um, their, their offense is kind of limited when everyone knows that the big real threat is uh, Pat Garwo running. Like you can, you can stop that if you really know what's coming. Yeah, this is kind of what I thought BC would be without Phil Dracovic. Like I thought they would figure it out maybe week to week, but the ceiling was kind of gone. Like BC as a, as a number two team in the Atlantic, or I guess in this year without Clemson, without real Clemson, a number one team in the Atlantic. I figured was pretty much off the table when Dracovic got hurt. I know that BC immediately won their next game after Dracovic's injury, but we knew pretty quickly this was not going to be a sustainable thing. They were going to be able to do with Dennis Grossell. He's just not, not the same player. You know, it doesn't no. bring the same yeah. element to the offense. Like the the reason why Dracovic was so dangerous is yeah, he's a good passer, but in addition to that, he adds that element to the running game that Grossell just doesn't provide. Like he's not the same quarterback in that regard. Like he cannot just you don't you're not scared of defending the quarterback run when Grossell's in the game like you would be with Dracovic. You're just not. They're different quarterbacks. So I think that's where Boston College's offense is really feeling it. And it just took a little while for that to like fully manifest itself. Now what I will say is this is a game that went kind of how I thought like with Louisville like yeah being the better team but like not really pulling away. It was 21-7 for a while in this game. Like for almost two full quarters. <laughs> like it Louisville could just could not pull away. I mean, that running the football in this game Louisville was was quite good. They went for over 330 yards and four scores on the ground, but a couple of Malik Cunningham interceptions kept BC in this football game. The Cardinals just had trouble separating, which doesn't surprise me because BC plays hard-nosed enough defensively that I thought they'd maybe force some mistakes, but this was a suspect Malik Cunningham passing game. Mm-hmm. This was uh, not not his best. I mean, 9 of 17 for 107 and, and two interceptions. He did everything he could through the air to keep BC in the game. Now, on the ground, he was very good. He had 133 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Very good running game. Uh, from Cunningham, but through the air, it was it was not not very good. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why BC stayed in this game. Did I ever think BC was going to to pull this out? No. So Louisville kept him at arm's length, but 
I don't know. I mean, for Louisville, it's like a survive and advance type thing because now they're they're two and two in conference play, and they've lost those two conference games by a combined four points. So I think the jury is kind of still out on what Louisville is going to be, and they have quite the stretch coming up. You know, they're on the road at NC State, home against Clemson, home against Syracuse at Duke, home against Kentucky. I mean, there's some winnable games in front of them. And I think, you know, Louisville still has a shot here, especially if they beat NC State. I know they lost to Wake Forest, but especially if they beat NC State to have an inside track to maybe steal that Atlantic bid. Now it would take it would take another loss. You know, I, Louisville would have the head-to-head against, against NC State if they were to win that game next weekend, but it would take, a, you know, a couple losses from Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... It, it's on it's on the table. It, it would actually take three losses from Wake Forest, so it's actually pretty unlikely because they, they own the tiebreak against Louisville right now. But, yep. I mean, this is a team that could certainly be the second-best team in the Atlantic, potentially, at season's end, and I think that's still on the table. They've played decent football this year. Like, they, I think they are a bit better than their record at 4-3. and three. It's just a couple tough losses, and defensively, it's been a little bit up and down, and I'm not sure I can give them too much credit for only allowing – 14 points against Boston College, Dennis Grossell, right? So we'll, we'll yeah. kind of see where that ends up. Yeah, I mean, Louisville's defense finishes this game with three sacks, six tackles for loss. Um, did a really pretty good job of containing Boston College's offense. Like, the Eagles finished with well under 300 yards of offense. Um, like you said, I mean, Cunningham with a pretty su- suspect passing performance. It was, you know, it was a game that, that weather impacted a little bit. Uh, I think there was, there was some rain in the area that – Made it a little tougher to pass, but Louisville, in a lot of ways, seems like they you you can kind of tell how the game is going to go for the Cards, at least on offense, based on what their offensive or their their rushing offense looks like, um, right? Because they're going to focus on rushing the ball, and if they can get some some explosive you know chunk gains in the run game, good night, like it's over, um, and that's right. what they're going to try to do, and then they'll mix in a few passing plays, and that'll be fine. If they can't and they really need to rely on their passing game to move the ball, it can turn into a bit of a scramble pretty quickly. Um, right. And so this is a game, again, where Louisville goes for 331 and four scores on the ground. They average seven yards a carry as a team. Um, so that, that was a good showing, I think, from them in large part. It really kind of felt like, I mean, they took, a, again, they took a 21 to 7 lead into the half. Uh, and then Louisville comes out, has a nine play, 40 yard drive, and missed a field goal. But even still, like Boston College pulls to within twenty-one to fourteen with about six minutes left. But I just, I just never felt like this game was really in jeopardy for Louisville. Um, they they responded to that with a, a an eight play seventy-five yard touchdown drive, like put the game away. Um, so, I mean, credit Scott Satterfield and that coaching staff. Like you said, I mean, they, I feel like depending on the week, they may well be like the second best team in the Atlantic. That's what I'm saying, man. And even like the the two losses they've had in conference play, they could have easily beaten Wake, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were in a spot where they absolutely could have won that game. You know, they could have easily beaten UVA a week ago. Like, this mm-hmm. is... If you're a Louisville fan, I think in a lot of ways you're pretty frustrated with how the season has gone because I think it could have been better than, than what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good win for Louisville. Um you know, Boston College, again, they've lost three in a row. They they got beat by Clemson. They got smacked by NC State last week, and then they lose by two scores here to Louisville. Yeah, there's a chance, I think, still out there that they get Phil Dracovic back, and that'll make a big difference. 
But if they don't, I, I think they're they're about done. They they might yeah. find a way to make a bowl game at four and three yeah. now. They need to win two of uh, at Syracuse, home against Virginia Tech, at Georgia Tech, home against Florida State, home against Wake Forest. Like I think that's possible to do to win two of those without Phil Dracovic, but it doesn't look great. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm about ready to declare Boston College dead, but mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. They're all in three in ACC play now, so that, that coaching staff is coaching their asses off. Like they're they're trying. They are it's just they are. I mean, it's you lost not your a best coaching thing. Like, what do you do? Right. I mean, it's it's not a coaching thing. I'm not I'm not worried about the Jeff Halfley coaching staff. Not no, worried about that. no, they're good. Louisville 28, Boston College 14. Keep moving. Wake Forest 70, Army 56. Mike, this was like the shootout to end all shootouts. This game was nuts. Did you watch it? I did, Mike, because it distracted me from Virginia Tech. Sue me. So, Mm. question. I had Army plus three. How mad am I allowed to be? I can't be that mad, right? I I, I mean, no. (laughs) Like, <laughs> like, Wake scored 70. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Wake you know? scored 70 like, in, like, 10 offensive possessions. Yes, they scored 70 in 10 offensive possessions, and they had nine offensive touchdowns in 17 minutes of possession time, a little over 17 minutes of possession time. Nine that, offensive yeah. touchdowns and a pick six to make 70. That is probably the stat of the week, is 70 points in 17 minutes of possession. Um, I texted you at one point during this game, Mike, and I pointed out that Wake Forest is basically running the NCAA 14 four verts offense. Uh, Sam Hartman completes 23 passes for 458 yards and five scores. It was like it was like clockwork, like literally, you know, five of their nine touchdowns were him just going over the top to Jaquari Roberson and A.T. Perry in particular. Those two guys combined for 14 catches and 303 yards and four touchdowns, I think. Like, yeah. They, they, as soon as they would run play action and Sam Hartman would pull the ball and go over the top, it was like Army had no answers on the back end for Ja'Cory Roberson and A.T. Perry. Um, just an incredible offensive showing for the Deeks. On the other hand, Mike, the, the Deeks defense also played in this game, allegedly. and uh, Not great, though. Offered minimal in the way of uh, stopping Army's offense. They did get a couple of stops, and that was good enough. Um, I don't know if you saw the pick six that they had against Army, by the way. Uh, This is actually like a fake punt, and it was actually fairly well designed. It's just the ball wasn't very well thrown, and uh, they had a – like the the punter kind of rolled to his right and then turns around and and tries kind of a throwback thing to a tight end who had kind of leaked out the, the backside on the left. Yep. And it was a, it was a well designed play. It's just the, the ball was kind of late, and a, a Wake defender came over and scooped it out of the air, and then just ran it all the way back for a touchdown. Um, so that was kind of fun. But other than that, I mean, Wake's defense did not do a whole hell of a lot in this game <laughs> to cause. I mean, Army Army, ran, Army ran the cover play, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> they held the ball for almost forty three minutes. They had almost six hundred yards of offense. They scored fifty six points. The only problem is they gave up seventy. Mm-hmm. Or they, I guess the defense technically gave up 63 and then a pick six for 70, right? So, right. you know, whatever. How mad can I be? Whatever. It is what it is. Good for Wake, though. I think they said this is the most points that Wake has scored in a game since 1940 or what was it, 1944 or something like that? Yeah, it was pretty funny. Connor O'Neill tweeted something. He was like, uh, it was like middle of the fourth quarter. 
He's like, this Wake Army game is absolutely bananas, and I, I hope people are actually watching it. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, don't worry, we are. Like, mm-hmm. We're paying attention. It's like, I'm worried nobody's paying attention. Like, don't you worry. Connor, don't you worry. No. Don't you worry. Eyes are on it. I Eyes see that Wake and Army have both scored 50 points in a game. So, yeah, immediately interested. Yeah. Yeah. They, it caught my attention. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sam Hartman was awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. you said he completed 23 passes. He was 23 at 29, so he was efficient too. And uh, had almost as many touchdowns as incomplete passes. I mean, this was a really <laughs> outstanding performance. This box score is like an adventure if you want to really look into it. I, I recommend it because, I mean, Army ran the ball 70 times, you know, averaged almost six yards a carry. Like, again, Wake wasn't doing a lot. By the way, Jabari Laws for Army, the quarterback – Nine of eleven for 140 yards and three scores. Like that's that's a hell of a triple option passing performance, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the good stuff. You take that every time. Um, yeah, yeah. There was just a whole lot of no defense being played in this game. Um, so fun rewatch if you're ever uh, you know looking for something to throw on the uh, the extra screen while you work or something. It's, it's, yeah, this game was nuts. If you're looking for a good drinking game too, just drink for every touchdown. Good luck. I mean, I'd be dead. That's right. <laughs> Good win for Wake Forest. That was a dangerous spot, you know, going into West Point like that. But they uh, they got it done. So credit to Dave Clawson and the uh, the Clawfence and, and all them. By the way, yeah, Clawson How many three and three quarters uh, did they make? How many threes did they make? <laughs> yeah, someone someone got hot from three in this game. Is basically what, yeah, yeah. Dear God, man, seventy to fifty six. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Big win for Wake Forest and Fence. Good job. Good job, Wake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wake, 70, Army, 56. Last one, Mike. Florida State, 59, UMass, 3. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Joey. My uh, bad. Yeah. Uh, it's my bad. I, I, I owe you an apology. I guess we'll start there. I'll, I'll accept your apology, Mike. Yes, I talked you into taking UMass plus the 35 and a half. And uh, yeah, sorry, man. My bad. <laughs> I My had bad. a feeling that Wake was going to try to put up a number. And that they did. Yeah, good for the Knolls, man. Yeah, they needed that. Good little uh, net crack kind of situation here. I mean, UMass is just what the doctor ordered, you know? We got a Chubba Purdy sighting in this game, by the way. Five yeah. and five for 98 yards and two scores. Uh, don't create a QB controversy. I would recommend Mike, but, uh, you know, might've started that. I don't know. Yeah. How's Mackenzie Milton doing these days? I think his knee is all still in one piece. That's, that's all I'm asking for. Like he can still walk from point A to point B. That's that's a win. That's a win. That's that. (laughs) Yes, that's good. Good for him. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, this box score is kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. This is Florida yeah. State punted once and turned it over on downs once. Both of those were in the second half when they were up by at least thirty-five points. So, yeah. Somebody, oh. somebody reminded Mike Norvell that Walt Bell used to coach Florida State, and he took that personally. Yeah. Yeah. Take that out on Walt Bell. So, good job, Florida State. Got the win. Moved to three and four. Uh, now we'll see how you do against Clemson next week. <laughs> Not that Clemson is like some amazing powerhouse, but just that'll be a uh, that'll be a site for 
Well, not not a site for sore eyes for sure, but just you know, a site. Yeah, well, I mean, if it makes Florida State feel any better, I mean, UMass's offensive output is probably going to be very similar to the one we see with Clemson next week. So. <laughs> Got him. I mean, it's a good it's a good prep game, Florida State. There you go. Get uh get get up to speed here this week so you can go play Clemson next week. There you go. Good I job. mean, listen, I'm I'm mostly joking. Right, like UMass had 241 yards of offense. I, I, I mean, Clemson, Clemson, yeah, yeah. I mean, Clemson should have more than 241 yards of offense next week, but like, are you going to say it's going to go over that by a lot? I mean, I'm not. No, no. Like, Florida State's defense isn't that good. Neither is Clemson's offense. Like, yeah, so. going to be a battle of wits. I don't know. All right. Well, have fun with that, Florida State. Florida State, 59, yeah. UMass, 3. And, Joey, Joey, let me mention this before we, before we like wrap up this individual recap. Mm-hmm. A battle mm-hmm. of wits is something that DJU hasn't been winning recently. So. <laughs> I'll slide that one in there. Yeah, that is correct. He is, that has not gone well for him in recent weeks. Yes. Yes. To be sure. Last one, Mike. Uh, the, the, the uh, well, <laughs> Eastern Michigan, 55. The uh, Bowling Green Falcons, twenty-four. Not great. Not great. Yeah, Bowling Green didn't cover, so I got that wrong too. Yeah, big yikes. Uh, got got blown out by the uh, the emus, as it were. So, uh, ouch, ouch, very ouch. God, go Falcons. Hey, is Scott Leffler a uh, Virginia Tech head coaching candidate? <laughs> you better hope not. <laughs> But, you know, if you're Whit Babcock and you're looking at this and you're like, well, he is a former offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. He has some familiarity with with the school and with the area. Again, like most things, I'm mostly joking. (laughs) Mike's going to run like a Mission Impossible mission to like invade Whit Babcock's office and uh, stop that hiring from happening. Incredible. I... I can only do so much. <laughs> I was uh, blamed on Twitter today for being a reason why Virginia Tech football isn't playing well anymore. Can I read you the tweet? Was this like a Mac Brown like blaming the media thing, or uh... that's like precisely what it was? <laughs> Let me please. Can I please read you the tweet? By all means, please do. Okay. Okay. One moment, please. I'm finding it. Good podcasting. Here it is. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, Paul. <laughs> Paul Van Wagner, friend of the show, by the way, was also <laughs> implicated in this tweet. Reasonably as was Hokey. Yes, as was uh, Hokey Haven, the rivals site covering Virginia Tech football. Ready? <laughs> it's from uh, Steve Bryce, 2021, and then in parentheses he says, "Win or hashtag get the U-Haul." And parentheses. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the Twitter handle at this point. Yep. Okay. He says. At Mike McDaniel, at Paul Van Wagner, at Hokie Haven, and others, don't get a pass in this either. You all played a part in hyping up the subpar recruiting and coaching for likes, listeners, subscriptions, and clicks. What? <laughs> what? Click clicks this on is, what? Like this is part two. Well, this is part two to another tweet where he implicated Tech Sideline, a reputable Virginia Tech site, Tech Lunch Pail, a Virginia Tech blog, Fifth Quarter, Virginia Tech, Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech, which I'm associated with, by the way. And then VT Scoop 24-7, that's Virginia Tech's 24-7 site, 
all bear some responsibility in this debacle called Hokies football. You hyped up the subpar recruiting and coaching for three years for clicks, views, and subs while dismissing those of us who saw this train wreck coming. So blame the media. Well, Mike, th- this is why you shouldn't have done that. Now you got to pay the price. Now I got to pay the price. Whatever <laughs> will I do? Oh, I know. I'll get more clicks. Bummer. You'll log off Twitter. That's what you'll do. I will log off Twitter. I was put in my place. It's a jungle out there, Joey. This website is free, Mike. It's great. It's actually what I tweeted. I said, what a website. What a website. That is absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Mike, want to go have some awards? We owe, and, and do we have some? Buddy, we do. Uh, the Go ACC moment of the week, as mentioned, going all the way back to the Pittsburgh-Clemson game. DJ, you got himself benched, Mike. The shovel six. Gosh, DJ, look, big cinco. They call a little shovel pass for reasons. And uh, Servassier Dennis for Pittsburgh just comes plowing through the line, and DJ, you's like, no, I can get it there. Like, I got the arm strength on this shovel pass, and you know, yeah. Dennis just yeah, right in the bread ba- red bread basket. Uh, look what I found, and uh, he's gone. I mean, go ACC to that, right? Go ACC to that. Big Cinco and Clemson. Good good stuff. Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, and we, we didn't really talk about this in most of these games that we're going to mention, but uh, can we just give, like, the entire conference special teams the Go ACC moment of the week, or the, uh, the You Tried Award, sorry, because uh, special teams this weekend were an adventure. Yes. Yeah, an adventure. Uh, we had blocked extra points. We had the long kickoff return that Virginia Tech gave up when they literally couldn't. Like, literally don't do that. UVA allows two onside kicks late to keep Georgia Tech in the game. Just special teams as a whole. Oh, and I think NC State falls into this too, picking multiple field goals when they needed touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Like, more of like, okay, good execution on the field goals, but still, like, come on ridiculous so fantastic go go acc you guys you tried on these uh, special teams executions of the weekend good stuff good stuff yep good stuff mike the kobe bryant memorial volume shooter of the week award kobe goes to big cinco uh we're, we're going right back to that well uh dju throws 25 passes comes up with a grand total of 128 yards uh good stuff good stuff yeah also had two interceptions <laughs> he did. Yeah, you uh, you, know, you threw a lot of passes and you got somewhere on them, I guess. I don't know. Not really. I mean, I've I've seen better performances. <laughs> I will say that. Such as from his backup? For example. For example. Mike, that does it for uh, awards. Let's name the uh, team of the week. Uh, Pitt and or, I mean, I, I think I almost out of principle, have to give it to Wake Forest for scoring 70 points. (laughs) They're scoring more than their basketball team is going to score most of the year this year. They did give up 50 to a service academy. So so it's like a a Wake offense is the team of the week. How about that? (laughs) I mean, did they score more than the other team? (laughs) They did. They did. did. So you know what? Good for them. And that's saying something because they gave up a lot to the other team. (laughs) That's, That's right. Yeah, I'll give it to Pittsburgh. Uh, beating Clemson in that spot, like, they were ripe to, to drop that game, and uh, they didn't let it happen, so credit to them. 
Well, I mean, you could also argue the team of the week is Clemson's second team offense. <laughs> Given the first team offense a run for its money. Um, nah, scout, scout team's doing that. <laughs> God. What is happening in, in Clemson? Uh, I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at there, you know? we I mean, It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Player of the week, Mike. Uh, Brandon Armstrong was God. silly this week. Uh, he had almost so 500 many. yards and six touchdowns. Uh, as you mentioned, Sam Hartman went nuts in that game. Garrett Schrader, five touchdowns, three on the ground, two through the air. Had like super gutsy effort from him. Yeah, he had uh, he had 400 yards by himself. Oh God, I mean, there, there's there are so many good ones. I mean, Dontavion Wicks. Mm-hmm. Six for one sixty-eight, two scores. Talked about him earlier. So Jaquari Roberson was awesome. I mean, yeah, like literally any one of Wake Forest wide receivers. So good yeah. on you. Really impressive week of offense in the ACC. I will say that. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot more uh, points and yards this week than we've seen for most of the season so far. So uh, you know, good stuff there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Mike, I think that does it. For week eight, uh, anything else here on week eight before we work on getting out of here? Well, I mean, I, I think we're getting to the point now where a lot of these teams are who we thought they were, right? For the most part. Channeling your inner uh, Denny Erickson there. Denny Green, actually. Dang it. You're right. It is Denny Green. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Different different race, different, different, different layer, level of sport. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, I've been calling him Dennis Erickson for a while. No, you're right. Yeah, former noted Oregon State head coach. Dennis Erickson is definitely like an old white dude. Not, Never mind. Okay, all right. Wow, okay, I learned something today. Good stuff. Good stuff, Joey. I'm, we're, we're, I'm, I'm just breaking ground on racial lines and everything else. Look at this. <laughs> Hour and 25 minutes into a podcast. Good stuff. What happens? That's what happens. Yeah. Classic. Man. Yeah, they are who we thought they were, Mike. They are. I think Clemson could lose next week. I can't wait for the preview. Clemson, yeah. <laughs> Clemson could lose that game. That's that's to be I sure. I mean, they shouldn't, but they could. They, they definitely could. Um, so, Mike, just like a, a brief little bit of housekeeping. Um, we are going to be back for the preview. However, uh, this is going to be a bit of a, a wonky week for us coming up. Um, so... We typically would record the preview on Wednesday night. However, Mike, I yep. am a little busy on Wednesday night. What are um, you doing Wednesday, Joey? Well, there's there's this thing going on downtown uh, here uh-huh. in Houston, and um, I, I forget what they call it, but basically the, the local baseball franchise is going to be playing against the Atlanta baseball franchise. Yes. Um, it's like the Global Series or something like that. Anyways, um, the wife and I are going to go watch the Atlanta Braves play the Houston Astros in the World Series. Um, so I'm, I'm... Yeah, sorry. Yes. Dilly dilly, yeah. I, yeah. I'm I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited to go back and bleep that out in the uh, the, the editing yeah, process. Yeah, well, had to. <laughs> some, some moments call for it. The Braves are going to try to win their first World Series in like 30 years. So That is, yeah, like 26 years. Yeah, yep. I was... Uh, I just turned four years old the last time they won the World Series. So here's to hoping uh, they win one before my kid turns four years old, which we're getting close. But um, if not now, it's got to be next year. Otherwise, it'll be uh, afterwards. Anyways, uh, we're going to the World Series game Wednesday night. Um, Tuesday night's usually very busy. So we're going to record this on Monday night, uh, previewing week nine. 
uh, Mike. And then the other thing is that I'm I'm going to be in Atlanta for a wedding on Friday night, and then going to the homecoming game against Virginia Tech. So I'm going to be at the Tech Mobile in person at Bobby Dodd Stadium yep. on Saturday. Yep. You will not because. You, Correct me if you will be at a wedding, I believe, next week. I will be at a wedding, yes, in uh, the Florida Keys. Okay. Good place. I've been there before. Highly recommend it. You should enjoy yep. it. Um, but as a result of that and just kind of the, the wedding fallout, I think, for a few days, you will be unavailable to record the Week 9 recap. And so we have something really good in the plans of someone to jump in and pinch hit for you in the Week 9 recap. It will not be the one Mike McDaniel. Uh, we have someone else going to be jumping in. You know him, you love him, so don't worry. It'll be good. Uh, but I will be trying to figure out, you know, you know, rhythm and chemistry and all that with, with folks for a uh, one-time show. So that'll be fun. So keep it tuned here. We will keep you updated, but it will be a little bit of a wonky process over the next week or so is all I'm saying. I'm retiring from podcasting. We just fooled them. Well... Mike, that podcasting money is pretty good, so we'll see how long you can stay retired for. That's that's right. That's very true. That's very true. You can't stay away. It's like a drug. That's right. That's right. So on that note, <laughs> let's get out of here. We're going to come back here shortly and preview week nine in the ACC. In the meantime, you can find us on, AC, on, on ACC. Goodness gracious. Um, Soon, though, maybe. You know? that w- please. Actually, though, like we should be able to commentate a game sometime. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS together at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Find us on iTunes and Spotify, anywhere you go find podcasts. Uh, please drop us a review. That'd be great. Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Also check us out on Instagram at BC podcast ACC and rate review and subscribe to this podcast. Please do. Please do. And if you, I, I tell you what, if you go follow us on Instagram, I promise we will almost certainly post something in the upcoming month, man. If, <laughs> if that's not incentive to join the Instagram page, I don't know what is Mike. We are nothing if not self-aware as a podcast. That is that is true. We are also very busy, it turns out. Uh, uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think that's it. I think we're good. I think so. Mike, we will talk soon. Come back and uh, preview week nine. How's that sound? Yes, sir. Let's right. do it. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Some other beginnings and